Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech Asia Pacific series. As in Voice of Fintech podcast so far, here you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, corporate innovators, investors, ecosystem hub leaders from or close to the world of fintech. Asia Pacific series will be hosted by amazing hosts based in the region, speaking to the leaders from Asia Pacific. Here is another one hosted by Chia. Welcome everyone to the Voice of Fintech Asia Pacific Edition, where we have today a very special guest, Todd, the founder of Brancas, one of the earliest and pioneers of open banking in Southeast Asia. Todd, it's amazing to have you. Thank you so much for being here. You have been building open banking and Brancas since 2016, way before open banking was known to be a thing. I consider you to be the early pioneer for open banking, especially in Southeast Asia. I'd love if you could walk us through your background and what Brancas has been busy with historically and now moving forward. Sure. Hi, Chia. And thank you so much for the invite. Um, happy to participate on Voice of Fintech. And thanks for the question. Yes, Brancas has been an early an early player in the, the open banking ecosystem in Southeast Asia. And you rightly point out in 2016, there was open banking was barely a term in the UK, and it certainly was not a concept in Southeast Asia. At the time, really, I, I co-founded Brancas with my co-founder and CTO, Kenneth Shah, because we noticed that in markets like Indonesia and the Philippines and Vietnam, there's such a buzz with e-commerce and with fintech apps popping up. But the integrations between banks and these these startups was just incredibly manual. And we were seeing all sorts of very hacky solutions. I remember one early visit to an e-commerce startup where they had a staff of 10 people in the back of the office whose entire job, this row of people on a table, was manually reconciling bank account transactions. What that means is 10 people with different bank account screens up, hitting refresh periodically, and manually matching orders to uh, bank de- transactions to figure out which which deposit came from which customer. Why is this? Because most customers in Southeast Asia, and this, consist- this persists today, they choose to pay by bank transfer. And this is a very low-carded market. And the majority of Indonesians, Filipinos, Vietnamese, when they pay online, they pay through bank transfer. And so we noticed the need to provide more efficient infrastructure to enable these fintechs, these e-commerce, these lenders uh, to process payments. So it started with a payments use case, but since then we realized that the, the power of connecting technology companies with financial institutions is goes way beyond payments. And we provide a lot of support around data aggregation and even whole product workflows to originate new accounts now. Got you. Amazing. I, I know you do quite a lot of really different things, especially in the open banking space. So maybe could you help our listeners understand where you fit in within the existing value chain of different open banking business models? And maybe there are clarify some terminology around, for example, open banking and open finance. Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll start with just some clarification. I think open banking is a term that comes out of Europe and the UK, where it has a, a particular regulatory meaning, which is that in the UK, starting in the UK, open banking was defined as a, a mandate for the top nine banks to provide open APIs 
for third-party fintech and, and qualified technology partners to use, particularly around data aggregation. And this was explicitly done by the UK government in order to promote greater competition in consumer and SME banking. And that is called the Open Banking Initiative. I think since then, that term has latched on, but it's a bit confusing because I think a lot of financial institutions and regulators think that open banking is a regulatory approach, when in fact, open banking, it's actually a set of technologies, processes, and enabling infrastructure um, that allow banks or other FIs and technology companies to connect. So I think open finance is a better term, and, and API products is the term that we think of. So open finance extends beyond banking, and today there are many e-wallets, even insurance companies and non-bank lenders and cooperatives that are um, thinking of API products as a way to increase distribution or acquire new customers or generate new fee revenue by providing direct payment facilitation for their customers. And so open finance covers more than simply banking, and it certainly covers more than the scope of open banking per se coming out of Europe. The Broncos business model today covers, the way I think of it is we cover the supply side and the demand side of this new open finance economy. The supply side are the API publishers. So these are financial service providers that, that intend to have API products as a way to distribute one of their existing financial services or potentially acquire new customers or you know, capture additional revenue on top of their existing product set. So this could be a bank offering a retail payments API, direct, direct debit account, it could be uh, a lender that offers end-to-end -end loan origination as a buy now, pay later product available to third-party e-commerce sites. It could be a, an insurance company that offers a simple, a simple API like Lemonade in the US that plugs into a checkout page so that you can you know, integrate very quickly an insurance solution. So on the supply side, Broncos provides a turnkey system that allows financial institutions to deploy API infrastructure and deploy their first API products within about six weeks. So it is a standardized, you can think of it like a middleware solution that allows any financial institution, regardless of their core banking system, to, to have API products that they can now go and sell. That's the supply side. The demand side is API consumption, where, are, where our customers are looking for a way to easily connect to multiple banks and multiple other financial services through a single API. And so Bronca's product offering today is on the supply side, where we work with more than 38 banks across the region, and increasingly e-wallets and lenders and insurance companies to help them publish API products. And then we work on the demand side, primarily for use cases around data aggregation, payments aggregation, and new product origination. Got you. Thanks. That's very um, insightful and helps un really understand the, the landscape a little bit better. You, you mentioned API products, so let's really dive into that. You work with a lot of banks on supply side. So what is the perspective of these banks, especially in Southeast Asia, regarding API products? How have they reacted to banking as service, API banking infrastructure? Is this something strategic or is this something that's nice to have? Yeah, it's a great question. In in the UK, again, open banking was a compliance exercise, right? So the banks had, didn't have a choice. They were required to build and, and manage a certain number of API products. And only now are some of the banks thinking about how they can now turn that into a commercial advantage. In Southeast Asia, I think 
Southeast Asian banks have the benefit of really an unregulated market. And I say that's a benefit because it allows banks to focus on the key commercial use cases that will be most valuable given their market position. So for a small bank that doesn't have much of a branch presence, but is focused on the retail side, they can provide APIs for account opening and work with fintech partners to offer basically a banking as a service co-branded savings account that's embedded in fintech partner apps. And then they can go about acquiring new account holders, new depositors by partnering with fintechs. For a larger bank that maybe has a large retail or SME presence, they can easily provide payment APIs to allow for seamless disbursements and collections and standard QR enablement. And they can do it in-house without relying on a payment gateway or a payment intermediary. Uh, For other banks, maybe they're more corporate focused. There's a number of data and, and transaction management APIs that can be plugged into an ERP system so that larger corporates can have much smoother operations and it keeps the corporate much more engaged and consuming some of the transaction banking uh, solutions of the bank. So I think the answer really depends on the type of bank, what their strategic approach is, what type of customer base they really value and what type of products they're looking to launch digitally. And that's, I think, the really exciting thing about API, API, open banking APIs and, and open finance in Southeast Asia is you see so many use cases popping up, but they're not coming from a compliance point of view. They're coming from financial institutions realizing that this is a new way to access customers, to serve customers better, to origin, to acquire new loans or acquire new account holders, and and they want to play a new game. And I think the COVID situation has demonstrated to banks that they cannot rely simply on a branch presence because, at least here in the Philippines where I live, for most of 2020 and now a lot of 2021, the branches have been closed. And so I think the silver lining in the pandemic in financial services has meant that banks are now realizing just how vital it is, regardless of market position, for them to have API products available to give their customers more access through digital channels. Got you. That makes a lot of sense. I think you highlighted the, the big commercial use case and value proposition in Southeast Asia as opposed to other geographies, which may be more regulatory driven. And I'd like to double double click on that and, and understand, is there any trends within specific use cases or or products that are emerging within the Southeast Asian open finance space that you think is particularly interesting to note, especially coming for, for, especially if someone else from another geography was looking into Southeast Asia? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the, so the obvious open finance API products that really exist in every market are data APIs and payment APIs. So data APIs are for things like me as a customer authorizing sharing of my account data with a third party, potentially a lender so that they can do credit scoring on me or with a credit, you know, into a credit card application or maybe for a financial management app so that I can track my spending and income a little closely. Payments APIs to enable things like direct debit payments from bank account or for corporate disbursements that don't require a middleman or a payment gateway. So that's, I think, table stakes, right? And these are the data and payment APIs exist really in, in many markets around the world now. I think the emerging trend is on what we call in Branca's product APIs, which are full financial service or financial product workflows that are bundled as a single API service that can be easily integrated with a fintech or, or technology company partner. And these are things like 
account origination, buy now, pay later, or installment lending as a service, consumer loan origination, which may include credit card origination, credit card issuance, all wrapped in a single API that can be easily consumed uh, by the partner. And so I think that is the trend that I'm seeing, at least, is banks thinking about how can we actually sell our bread and butter consumer and SME products, but delivered through a simple API that can be assumed that can be consumed by our, our selected partners in a way that doesn't involve bank IT teams needing to build out some custom integration over multiple months. Got you. That makes sense. I think you, you might have partially answered this question with the last sentence, but in terms of from, from a business model perspective, why do banks then want to work with aggregators like yourself instead of selling directly to fintechs and, and positioning themselves as such? Yeah. And so I'll start with I'll start with an observation that is I think so I think banks are looking for to work with partners for a couple different reasons. Number one, API technology is new. IBM and Accenture are expensive, and they're looking for a partner to actually help them develop and publish APIs as products. And they often don't have these capabilities with their in-house IT team. So I think one that's often the key reason why why a financial institution works with someone like Broncos. And number two is onboarding API users is much more resource intensive, I think, than the banks typically realize. And I've encountered multiple banks that, to their credit, have launched awesome, well-documented, well-performing APIs. But the thing is, because API products, fintech API products are new in Southeast Asia, the API users often need a lot of hand-holding for figuring out how to integrate it, how to test, asking about this edge case or that use case. And it often ends up taking a lot of the bank's resources just to provide a technical support function for the API users. And in one case, I know there was a chairman of one of the banks here in Southeast Asia, and he was saying, he's saying, Todd, why do I now have 100 staff focused on operations around our APIs? I thought this was supposed to be a, a scalable solution. And the reason is, I think this is not in the DNA of banks to provide engineering support. And so even for a bank that has invested in building an API portal, there is still some onboarding and education of the API users that is required. And I think that's some that's an area where an API aggregate and an API publishing partner like Broncos can help. So that's on the bank side. I think the other value is that the it is the banks are eager to provide APIs as products, but the API users will often ask for a more productized version of the API. So they want to consume a statement API, but really they want to extract the income characteristics or they want to ex extract the identity characteristics of the customer. And so that's a more advanced product, but it's using the statement data API that the bank provides. So I think working with an aggregator allows the API user to get exactly what they need without needing to architect around the, the, the API as the bank provided it. The other obvious benefit of working with an aggregator, if you're an API user, is that we live in a region of the world that has completely non-standard APIs from even from bank to bank. And so having a partner that is doing that standardization and providing multiple banks through a single API endpoint is really valuable to a fintech because if they're not if they're integrating with each bank one by one, that is time that their engineers are spending not on core product. 
And I can tell you from experience that integrating five or six or seven banks in a single country is going to be five or six or seven completely different API specs and completely different technical issues to deal with. And so taking that burden off of our customers is something that's really valuable. Got you. Thanks a lot. That makes complete sense. I, I actually want to switch gears a little bit. I think we've dove quite deeply into how, how you've been thinking about Brancas and, and the role of the ecosystem. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I'd love to maybe go up and look at things from a macro view for, for a while. I know you mentioned, obviously, that open banking and open finance are two very different things. But I think we've also observed that there's quite a lot of movements in the regulatory side. Given your position, I'd love to understand what you think has been changing in the different countries in Southeast Asia and what you've been most excited by. Yeah, it's a good question. I think that my general comment is that open banking or open finance regulations are still really in the research phase with most of the regulators. So open banking or open finance is still a is still a work in progress. And I think the so what I'm observing is that in in most of these markets and the ones I know well are Philippines, Indonesia and Thailand. I think the regulators recognize that this is an opportunity for fintech innovation. So they see how APIs are changing the economics of serving consumer and SME populations. These are these are countries, you know, like the Philippines where 60 something percent of the population is unbanked. And I think a big part of the reason for that is that the incumbent financial institutions see the mass market consumer and the low end SME segments as too expensive to serve because that involves in the past that would involve building branches out in far flung island province running physical cash trucks back and forth staffing those branches providing security at those branches and it's quite a, a capex and opex heavy operation right now if you apply open banking to that same ch challenge you start to see a completely different economic model where you can now reach consumer and sme segments even way outside of the metro capital area in a scalable way using technology and by partnering with fintechs that are using the bank APIs. So I think the regulators recognize this and they see that this is that actually in emerging markets and in most of Southeast Asia, open banking and open finance can be a, a catalyst for financial inclusion. So that I think is really exciting to me because what we're doing is we're seeing regulators that are opening to the idea that financial inclusion and open finance are one and the same. I'm also excited because I think regulators are realizing that an opt-in model is actually more productive. I don't want to speak for the regulators, but my observation is that the opt-in model allowing, allowing financial institutions to publish APIs and, and create new API products as long as they meet certain technical standards is a model where you're allowing a lot of innovation, you're allowing new ideas and new API products to flourish without necessarily requiring all of the banks to do this. And this is more or less modeled after the Hong Kong model where they provide technical standards and they say to the banks, as long as you, you, as long as you comply with these technical standards, feel free to go build. I super support that model. Why? Because getting, as you may sense, trying to get consensus across all of the banks, large and small, in either through the Bankers Association or through, through, through an industry working group, trying to get consensus from large banks, small banks, community banks, rural banks about what a, an open banking mandate should be, would be, well, if 
At best, it will take years. At worst, it'll never happen, right? Because I think the interests of large banks and, and small banks differ, right? If instead you provide the technical guidelines and you say to the financial institutions, as long as you're meeting certain technical guidelines, you are free to develop API products, that allows for an open space for innovation. And I think I'm really encouraged to see that in Southeast Asia. I think Indonesia, Philippines in particular, are the, the regulators are embracing that model. And I think it's fantastic. Got you. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I wanted to ask, is there any geographies that you look to as the likely or aspirational model for Southeast Asia when you think about the regulatory aspect of open banking? Or do, do you believe that it is much more nuanced than that, especially for the different freight market? the markets that we have? I think I'm most excited about the opportunity for open banking to tap customer segments that have been neglected by the incumbent financial institutions. And so what I'm talking about are markets like the Philippines, like Bangladesh, like Vietnam, where there are large unbanked populations, large uncarded populations, large remittance flows, and remittance flows usually carry 8 to 10% total transaction cost. And I think those markets that have massive financial services infrastructure gaps, right? No online national electronic online identification mechanism, no national credit bureau, pretty inefficient or expensive inter interbank payment rails. These are markets where open finance can actually leapfrog the existing infrastructure and provide a new way of connecting banks to customers and banks to, to fintechs. And so I think it's it, it, perhaps counterintuitively, I think the markets that are most exciting are the market for open banking are the markets where there is the least availability of existing infrastructure because the opportunity is so large. I'm impressed with both the Philippines and Indonesia in terms of their regulatory and development around open banking, but for, I think, different reasons. Indonesia, Bank Indonesia in particular, is taking a very proactive approach in standardizing payments APIs. They recently rolled out a, a standard QR and actually a standard fee structure for QR payments, modeling it, I think, after PromPay in Thailand. So that's really encouraging, and that's going to unlock a lot of value for merchants that are accustomed to paying quite high fees for accepting payments online. Separately in the Philippines, what I'm seeing is a lot of this model of open innovation, where the regulator has, they have an open finance circular, which is the kind of the predecessor of a, of a regulation, and it just defines the technical and operating standards that banks should follow or FIs should follow when they are launching API products. So it's very much tailored after the Hong Kong, the HKMA model of letting FIs innovate as long as they're within a certain set of boundaries. So it's a little bit lighter touch model. I think that's fantastic. But Indonesia, it's not to say that a, a higher touch model is bad. I think Indonesia's taken some, the Indonesian government has taken some quite controversial decisions that are for the benefit of SMEs and consumers. And just to give you an example of, of the level of ambition in Indonesia, the Bank Indonesia, the central bank, has said that they want 12 million SMEs using standard QR by the end of the year, by the end of this year. And bear in mind that QRIS, the, the QR standard, just rolled out at the end of last year. So that's quite, that's quite a ramp up. And it seems like they're quite motivated to actually achieve, achieve that goal. And so I think that's to be commended. Got you. Thanks. That really gives a sense of, I think, the speed and scale of the opportunity that's happening in Southeast Asia right now. So I think that's actually a great segue to, to, to my next question, which is, as open banking, uh, open banking has been quite a bit of a buzzword, especially in the past, uh, let's call it 18 months. And 
I'd love to get your take, especially for listeners who are from countries outside Southeast Asia. As a founder, an operator, or an investor, what are some of the big barriers and myths and 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 and, and truths of open banking, open finance in Southeast Asia specifically? Yeah, it's a great point, and I think there are some misconceptions here. I think. Big misconception number one, especially from an investor point of view, is that Southeast Asia is too early for API-based banking or, or for open finance because often these investors are looking at Europe or looking at the U.S. and saying, "Oh, open banking means I can connect my e-wallet to my bank account, or I can connect, you know, to a budgeting app." And it's a kind of a nice-to-have feature, right? It's not fundamentally changing financial services. It's a very nice, convenient consumer banking feature. And so, if you take that approach and you look to Southeast Asia, you say, "Well, there aren't enough online consumers. There aren't enough bank customers. FinTech is very early still. And so, is there really enough?" Demand for open finance APIs, and I think that's actually the premise is completely wrong. There, I think you take the technology of open banking or open finance, and you apply that to the fundamental infrastructure problems in Southeast Asia. The fact that there is no credit bureau that that can reliably give a, a consumer credit score. The fact that SME loan applications take typically months. Just to get a line of credit, if you're going to a traditional financial institution, the fact that there is no online identity mechanism in most of these countries, the fact that customers have a super low card penetration, often less than five percent card penetration, and therefore rely on bank transfers as the primary way to pay online. So you look at these problems and you say, "Wow, there's actually key infrastructure that's not in place in Southeast Asia." That can be addressed directly by open finance products. And so, if you take the technology of open banking, but not the same, but you apply that to the landscape of Southeast Asia, you see a much, much bigger opportunity from an addressable market point of view. So, I think that's I think myth number one. Myth number two is it's not a myth. I think, admittedly, it is a bit early for a developer first. If you build it, they will come type of product. What I mean by that is. Having as an API aggregator, simply having a developer portal and self-serve onboarding or DIY onboarding. In our experience in Southeast Asia, that's not good enough because APIs as products are new to the new to the region. Developers in this part of the region, you might be working. Your customer might be a, a junior developer on the on on your customer's engineering team who doesn't have much experience integrating third-party APIs. And as a result, there's a lot of handholding required, even of the smallest startups and even of the most technically proficient customers. The, if I'll call it the Twilio model of simply having a, a really great developer portal and having your customers just self-serve onboard as API users, I think we're not quite there yet, simply because the engineering capabilities of our customers are such that they usually. It's not engineering capabilities; it's expectations, right? It, your, the developers that we work with to integrate Brancas APIs will often want to have a phone call, have a walkthrough, screen sharing. They want to go back and forth, clarifying information on the API docs, and it's just a lot more handholding than would be required if we were operating in the U.S. or in Europe, for example. So I think that's an important misconception. I think the third misconception is that open banking means banks sharing their data to everyone. 
customer data to everyone. And that's simply not true. It's not true because it's not a requirement. There is no regulatory mandate anywhere in Southeast Asia for banks to provide open data aggregation. And open banking does not mean open to everyone, right? And this is why the, the term has been, I think, so confusing. Open banking or open finance is a broad term that means financial institutions can develop APIs that are made available to specific partners that they choose for specific commercial use cases. And so I think the misconception of open banking in Southeast Asia is that open banking means open data for everyone, when in fact it means banks should now see this as an opportunity to launch new products or new distribution channels or new ways of acquiring customers that happen to be distributed using API technology. Got you. No, thanks a lot, Todd. That was really insightful. I think that helped clarify quite a lot. I would like to actually clarify something you said based on developed markets versus Southeast Asia. So it, it sounds like when you are taking a approach other than the developer first approach, it also means really thinking through how you distribute your API products, how you build a typical, almost like MSME type sales funnel for these API products. Yeah, that's right, Chia. So I think it, it, number one, it means having team, an operations and customer success team on hand to help any developer from our customers understand the API better, understand how to integrate, understand what it can do, understand how they can customize it, and just having a team ready to do that handholding and explanations and actually a little bit of solutioning, product solutioning with the developer. It also means that we need to provide a range of low code or no code options on top of the API itself. So what that means is sometimes a customer may prefer to just use a dashboard instead of consuming the API directly, or this gets a bit technical, surfacing a web view inside the app instead of actually integrating the API directly is often going to be a lot simpler for the customer and not require them to go through more detailed integration. And there's a number of steps you can take, I think, but the way Broncos thinks about it is there's actually a spectrum of customers from the most technically advanced and ready to in integrate the API directly to those that really have a very thin engineering layer and would prefer the, the most low-code or no-code solution that's available. So I think that's just a reality of the market today. And so the way that we think about our go-to-market approach is... One is educating customers on what's in our customers, which are fintechs, e-commerce, lenders, wealth management apps, really any business that is looking to have integrated in real-time bank connections. And so I think it's providing a range of customer support and a range of integration options that allow for even the most technically light customers to be able to use open finance products without a heavy lift from their side. Got you. That makes sense. Last question, I think, from my side would be, is there any last things you might say to investors or founders looking to dive into open finance in Southeast Asia? Yeah, to, to any investors looking at open finance or embedded fintech or fintech API products in Southeast Asia, I think now is the time because you have a lot happening at once. You have traditional banks that are finally starting to invest seriously in digital infrastructure. You have new digital challenger banks that are popping up practically monthly in, in, in every Southeast Asia market and offering competing, competing services, usually to the consumer and SME segments. And you have just a massive fintech startup ecosystem now 
all of whom, one way or another, will need access to to open finance APIs. So I think now is certainly the time. I also think that the I think it's worth looking not only at the demand side or the API aggregation side, but also look at what's being addressed on the financial institution side to make it easier to become an API publisher. Because more and more financial services, as the market develops, more and more financial services will be available through APIs, right? As banks think about offering a banking as a service model, either to complement or actually substitute for their brick and mortar model. And as non-bank providers enter and start offering competing services that are much more easily integrated with fintech partners, I think it's worth looking also at the publishing side and seeing what innovation is happening to help financial service providers publish their own products available through API. Amazing. Thanks a lot, Todd. It was really great to have you. Yeah, thank you so much, Chia. Hope that was helpful. And again, I think this is one of the most exciting spaces in in Southeast Asia. Things are really heating up now, and I would welcome the chance to talk more about it anytime. Amazing. Thanks a lot, folks. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.